Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. We are so glad that you are here. Thank you for being understanding of where we are. Wednesday night was virtual. I don't like virtual. I'm done with virtual. Can I get a witness? And, uh, but that's where we are. And uh, tonight we will be having church again. And uh, he's so excited about tonight. If you're watching online, I've been on the roads this morning. Snow has turned to rain. Roads are going to be clear. I think it's very safe to be here tonight. We're very safe here in the building. Make sure that you come tonight. It's going to be powerful. One of my favorite preachers in the world is here. And uh, Brother Scott Graham. We love you very much. Cindy and I are so thankful for you. And I want to say that you've been a stable voice in my life for as long as I preach just about. I remember as a youth secretary in West Virginia and you were preaching our camp, which just impacted me so much. Our youth president, Brother Anthony Moss, said, Aaron, won't you take Brother Graham, take Brother Graham to the airport? And uh, I enjoyed our time. You you have spoken into my life ever since. And I'm thankful. Someone once said that our life is like a patchwork quilt. Every patch being, whether it's a message, a story, something imparted to your life, that each one has been sewn together with a thread of impression, impressed us. And I have to say that I've had a lot of great people in my life that have blessed me, that I have sewn what they've said to me or advice or a message they preached but there's so many of your messages on this on this quilt probably truth of the matter is is never really preaching an original message and what i mean by that because everything that we are is impacted by the people that have been put in our lives how many believe that i'm better because of you and i'm thankful for your encouraging voice and more than that your consistent voice as long as i've known you for this powerful message that we love amen the apostolic message and i know my wife's very glad to have her favorite preacher here today would you welcome brother graham our general secretary of the united pentecostal church we're so glad to have you oh my goodness after all that i can't wait to hear me i just <laughs> Oh, mercy. Well, I, you know, there's the risk of just it sounding like some kind of mutual admiration society so you can figure out who can outdo the other one. But Aaron and Cindy Bounds are way up high on my favorite people list. And you are a most blessed congregation of people. To have these wonderful folks. Best of you. Amen. I love them profoundly and have just looked forward to this my wife was so anxious to come and be with me in fact we i kind of changed some travel plans um I, I was preaching thursday and friday night in the at the wisconsin midwinter camp meeting now that in of itself is funny to me D does the word wisconsin and midwinter not speak to anybody besides me it was eight below zero the night i got there i mean come on wisconsin midwinter Florida midwinter, that makes perfect sense. 
Wisconsin midwinter just somehow, I don't know. But we had a great time, but that, that was in the Milwaukee area. And, and to be, it was to be here today. And, and man, when I got to looking at flights, of course, I know they've cut the flights way back. I get that. But somebody in there, somebody buy American Airlines a map of the United States, would you? Because to, to make this trip, it was leave St. Louis. Now I'm going to Milwaukee. Leave St. Louis, fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, fly to Milwaukee. Then to get from Milwaukee to here, fly to Dallas, fly to here, or Columbus. And then to get home from Columbus, fly to Charlotte, fly to St. Louis. Every one of them was eight and nine hour trip, you know? I was like, I ain't done it. So we'll just hit the road, baby. You and me, a little road trip. My daughter went and got engaged and there she getting married in May. It's a four month engagement, which doesn't leave a lot of time for wedding planning. And so every Saturday is, my wife is like, no, we're, we're, we're dress shopping those days. You're just gonna have to go without me. So I'm kind of bummed because now I got all the miles on the road uh, without my bride who was anxious to be here. Found, she found out a while back that she and your pastor's wife are third cousins or something. I don't know. Don't ever talk bad about somebody in Pentecost. You are probably speaking to their relative. You'd be very careful. Uh, but so she was so anxious to come, and I bring her apologies for not being here. We blame my daughter. I would blame that guy. How's that? We'll blame the guy. That's probably better. I want to read to you from Leviticus chapter 22. Thank you for being here today. I know the weather is not prime, but you're here. And and I've looked around. I've looked I, beautiful building. I've looked around. There's no snow inside any place that I see. So we're fine, okay? We're just, we're doing great in here. And I know you made it, and I thank God for his protection. Leviticus 22, and I'll read beginning of verse 17. What I realize is not one of the, not one of the more familiar passages to us. Not too much in Leviticus is familiar to most folk. Leviticus has killed a lot of New Year's resolutions. It really has. Folks did good through Genesis and Exodus. I think it's killed as many New Year's resolutions as Krispy Kreme has, really, if I to tell you the truth. But there's some good stuff in there. Leviticus 22, verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his freewill offerings which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Here's the instruction, verse 19. Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, we would say cattle, of the sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. Whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect. Everyone say perfect. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Then he begins to list some things that would eliminate that sacrifice. Verse 22, blind or broken or maimed or having a wind or scurvy or scabbed, Ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous. That's a nice big word. It just means extra part. It's got three ears. You can't bring that one. Or 
conversely lacking in his parts. That mayest thou offer for a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture? God says you are not going to dig around in the corner of your pasture and find something that's not worth much anyway and bring that to me and think I'll be impressed with it. You're not going to bring me a sacrifice that's already of no worth. I'm going to scour around and find something in your flock that's all damaged and banged up and bring that to me and think that I'll be impressed with it. I, I, that's not what I'm after. You're going to you bring me something, it's going to cost you something. You're going to bring me the perfect lamb out of your flock. But I'm not going to preach anywhere near about what you think I'm going to preach based on that statement right there. Because my, my mind runs to the other side of this equation. So what does the shepherd do with a blemished lamb? What, what plans does he have for one that's wounded, that limps, that's scarred, that made some mistakes, that has some regrets? What, what, what's the plan for that one? What does the shepherd do with a blemished lamb? You can be seated. God bless you today. It's a joy to be with you. Amen. Now, start with a question today. Outside of the Lord, we'll, we'll eliminate him from the equation. Besides the Lord himself, have you ever met anyone who's perfect? Have you ever met anyone who thinks that they, no, do not elbow your spouse right now. Don't do it. Lady said she knew she married Mr. Wright. She just didn't know his first name was always. Um, sometime back in the newspaper, St. Louis, I read an essay. It was published. <clears throat> it was written by a lady. Now, I, it is very important that you keep in mind that it is a lady that wrote this. Okay, that comes into play momentarily. She wrote an essay about <clears throat> a perfect couple, a perfect man married to a perfect woman, they had a perfect house and a perfect dog and perfect yard and perfect smiles, perfect car, and perfect jobs. Just, they were perfect. They were driving along, this lady said, one Christmas Eve. And they happened to notice up ahead, as they cruised along in their perfect car up ahead in the ditch, was the battered remains of a red sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Santa had had a blowout and a runner on his sleigh and was stranded there in the ditch she said, you know, being the perfect couple, they didn't want the children to all be disappointed, so they pulled over and picked him up. Santa got his pack and got in the back seat of their car, and they set off down the road at a very high rate of speed because you got to travel pretty quick to get to every house in one night. And the lady, did I mention it was a lady that wrote this? Okay, that's important. The lady that wrote this article said that they hit a patch of black ice on that road and lost control of the vehicle and hit a phone pole, and the lady that wrote this article said that there was only one survivor and she posed the question who survived the accident the lady that wrote this article said it had to have been the woman because she explained everybody knows that santa and a perfect man are mythical creatures seriously now gentlemen take heart 
Because the next week in the paper, a, a, a man wrote the response. And he responded and said, of course it was a woman she was driving. That explains the accident. Now, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what I read in the paper. Don't, don't stone me or anything. I'm just, just telling you what I read. <laughs> Whatever humorous value there is in one part or the other of that story to any individual here, I would merely tell you that we recognize the fact that no one here is perfect. And yet it's interesting to me that the scriptures frequently speak about us in terms of perfection. That God looks at his children through the lens of his mercy and by the covering of the blood. And the Bible says we are complete in him. In fact, I can make a pretty good case from the scriptures that perfection is a part of your past, it's a part of your present, and it's a part of your future. And you say, well, you don't know me. I know the Bible, and I know what the Bible says about you. In Hebrews 10 and 14, it says, for by one offering he hath perfected, that's past tense, forever, them that are sanctified. Ephesians 4 says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's right now. And Peter looks forward and says, the God of all grace, after you have suffered a little while, will make you perfect. The Bible looks backward. It looks here. It looks forward. And God says, when I look at you, I don't see a litany of what you used to be. I see my grace and mercy in your life. And I see you as perfect. We are positionally perfect in our past. We are practically perfect in our present. And we are prophetically perfect in our future. But that perfection, that wholeness, that completeness only exists in him. Outside of him, we accept and acknowledge the fact that we are anything but perfect. Give me a few moments to lay a foundation here. This flight will have a reasonably long runway, but a relatively short flight. Don't panic. Keep your seat backs and tray tables in their fully upright and locked position, and you don't have to wear a seatbelt. The Old Testament law contained detailed instructions for every important facet of life. At Sinai, God unveiled to Moses all the regulations he would require of Israel. And they were manifold and they were diverse. They touched a wide spectrum of topics. He gave them guidelines about every part of their life. He told them what to wear, what to eat, when to work, how to work, how far to travel. He gave them instructions for every manner of civil disagreements and crimes. He got so specific as to say if your ox was prone to get out of its pen and chase folks and you didn't keep it pinned up and it hurt somebody, here was the penalty to be extracted from you. Every facet of life was discussed and regulated. God was not bashful to give them instructions about how to live. You see, God has this strange identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And God looked at his people and said, since I got you out of bondage, I'm not embarrassed to tell you how to live. If you're glad that Egypt is in your rearview mirror, you can't get upset at the God that brought you through the Red Sea, giving you some guidelines about how to live. <laughs> 
I don't mean to be ugly. It just comes natural to me sometimes. But I don't understand folks who want to get upset at God when he tries to tell them how to live. Hey, honey, he brought me out of slavery. He got me out of bondage. He brought me out of Egypt. Pharaoh doesn't control me anymore. I don't mind God saying, here is how you ought to live. If you don't like God's guidance, go back to building pyramids. I mean, if you don't like having a God that wants to give you instruction, go back to the bondage you came out of. But if you're like me and you're glad the grace of God has brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, God, tell me how to dress. Tell me how to walk. Tell me how to talk. Tell me how to live. It doesn't bother me. I'm glad he set me free. gives him guidelines of every manner. He figures he has the right to instruct them how to live based on what he's already done for them. And Israel was expected to live by these to the letter. Not the least among God's commandments were those which dealt with their religious practice. The Lord was intensely specific regarding those items that would affect their relationship with him. Well, he gave him all kinds of guidelines about their relationship with other people. But he was very specific about those things that would affect how they dealt with him. All the feasts, all the sacrifice. I mean, he gave them such detailed instructions. Every aspect of the tabernacle was spelled out in such minute detail that if we could get our hands on the materials, we could build it again today. This long, this tall, this high, this many posts, this many rings, this many skins, dyed this color, layered on in this order. Here's the furniture. Here's where it goes. And, and God didn't broker any discussion on the matter. God doesn't reign by, by public opinion polls. God doesn't give ideas or suggestions. God gives commandments. And look what he said in Exodus 25 and 9 about the tabernacle. He said, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and after the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. I really don't care what you think about it. I'm telling you what you need to do if you want me to address your sins. Now, now you can believe what you want. It's free country, but I have the mic. And besides, I'm right. <laughs> But if, 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 if Israel had decided that that'd be better if they built that tabernacle about five feet longer, God would never have met them there. So, well, that's kind of petty. Wait a minute. He's God. I'm a recovering pastor. I told my church when I was pastor many times, here is one of the great differences between God and us. God never thinks he's us. But sometimes we get this crazy idea that our opinion ought to matter. Honey, I'm nothing but a ball of dirt that God saved from my sins and whatever God says is just how it is. Listen, that's not God being a bully. That's God saying to Israel, you don't know how to deal with your sins, so I'll tell you how to deal with your sins. I am very glad that God gave us some instructions about how to deal with our sins. It doesn't bother me that God said you must be born again of water and spirit. It doesn't bother me that the word of God says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I thank God he told me how to deal with my sin. 
was no less specific about the sacrifices that would be offered there. There were so many that were trespass offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings and free will offerings and offerings of sanctification and the annual offering on the day of atonement and every one of them, my dear brothers and sisters, had specific guidelines as to what was to be offered and how it was to be killed and what part was kept and what was burned and what was eaten and everything was spelled out. And God did not allow any variance from his instructions. One of the requirements for nearly every sacrifice was offered is what I read to you earlier, and that is that it had to be perfect to be accepted. The lamb or the goat or the bullock or the turtle dove or whatever had to be without blemish. This was non-negotiable. It was not up for discussion. God would not settle for less than the best of the flock when it came to a sacrifice. It had to be perfect. So, if you don't have an imagination, please use mine momentarily. Try to imagine with me the diligence with which a shepherd prepared a sacrifice to take to the tabernacle. See, here's the thing. A shepherd knows his sheep. He knew which ones were possibles and which ones were not. And he started running through, kind of running through his spreadsheet up there in his tent. Pulled up Excel work with me and he started running through his flock the list of his sheep trying to figure out which ones would and which ones would not work now I'm going to throw out a few names here if I happen to hit your name this is not a prophetic utterance okay please don't panic if I happen to call your name out it's it's just the Bible says time and chance happen to all men so if I happen to hit your name don't worry okay it's not God's not speaking right in that moment he just running down through his spreadsheet, you know. And he's like, wow. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> oh, Bobby ain't going to work. You know, Bobby's got that one ear that's crooked. Just like his daddy and his grandpa have been that way for five generations. God loved their heart. He just <laughs> ain't going to work. And Susan... Oh, Susan, no, Lord, no, not Susan. You know, Susan fell a while back. She fell. Everybody knew about it. Everybody in the flock knew. She's wounded and damaged. Her reputation's scarred. She's, she, Susan, never work. Jimmy and Johnny, brothers, Lord, no. They butt heads all the time. You can find them any day, in the, any day you want out in the pasture just beating their heads against each other. Always got little knots and bumps and bruises and ain't going to work. They're always fighting. And he just went down through his flock, eliminating one after another. This one's got an issue and that one's got a problem and this one's, got, this one's a little short of wool. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> me, me too. It's, he just went down through and this, this one's got a problem and that one, Lord, no. 
And he just eliminated one after another that had this issue and had this problem. And, you know, that one came from a broken home. And that one used to be a drug addict. And that one had a, that one had a history of immorality. And that one, that one, even after he got in church, he fell one time and he's damaged. And that one made a mistake. He walked away from the pasture for a few years. And that one's got an issue, you know. And that one by one, he eliminated all the sheep that weren't good enough. And it wasn't just the things that everybody knew about. It wasn't just the mistakes and flaws that the whole flock knew of. When he found one that might be good enough, then he had to look for things that nobody else could see except the shepherd. Bring that sheep up next to his house and pull the wool aside because we dress up good on Sunday, don't we? Pull the wool back to see if there's a flaw that everybody else can't see. Pull back the lips to see if a tooth was cracked. Look at the bottom of the hooves to see if maybe one of them was damaged somehow. He would examine that sheep from stem to stern because it couldn't have a mistake. It couldn't have a flaw. It couldn't have a blunder. Not just the ones everybody saw, even the ones that were private. And so he, I'm, don't worry, I'm just almost there. I'm about to pull back on the yoke. We'll take off in a minute. And when he finally had examined that lamb with a level of care that could only be termed consuming, and when it had checked out in every facet, when the coat was unspotted and the hide was unscarred and everything was there and everything was perfect, when he examined it and found that all was well for that perfection, it died. So my question is, what happens to the one with a scar? What happens with the one that made a mistake? What happens with the one that's not so good? What happens with the one that's not everything that it should be? I got good news for you. The shepherd said, you get to live. Now, that may not mean much to you if you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues, but if you know you're damaged, if you know you made some mistakes, if you know you limped your way into the church today, if you know you're not here because you're good, then somebody in the pasture ought to say, thank you, shepherd, for letting me live. Thank you, shepherd, for loving me just like I am. The shepherd looked at that one with a scar and said, I got good news for you. You get to stay here. Welcome to my pasture. You were mine yesterday. You'll be mine tomorrow. But you get to live. All I know is this. That message, that, that little thing right there resonates with me. Because you can like it or not, but this is how you came into church today. Well, we hide it pretty well, but the shepherd knows all about us. But aren't you thankful that the shepherd looked at you when you came to that altar with all of your baggage and all of your hurts, and he wrapped his arms around you and said, I think I'll keep you. Welcome to my church. Welcome to my choir. Welcome to my Sunday school team. Welcome to my outreach team. You say, but I'm scarred. Yes, that's why you get to live. Because it wasn't very long before that pasture was populated by wounded sheep. 
It wasn't very long until all you saw sitting on the pews on a Sunday were sheep with scars. I don't really know you. I can't speak to the specifics of your life, but I know you. You're just like me. We're damaged. We're wounded. We've got some yesterdays we wish we could redo. We've got some mistakes we made that left their mark on our life. And the enemy wants to wag his finger in your face and say, you're not fit to live. I'm glad the shepherd looked at us and said, nope, you're not fit to kill. The shepherd looked at us and said, I know you're ashamed of it, but that's why you get grace. That's why you get mercy. That's why you get to be saved. That's why you get to stay here. You belong in my church because you're not perfect. Wounded sheep get to live. The most wondrous thing in the world that the shepherd wraps his arms around us and says, you're wounded, but you're mine. You're scarred, but you're mine. You're damaged, but you're mine. You're not perfect, but you're mine. You get to live. You could be seated in a minute. I just want you to understand this process started in the Garden of Eden. God had designs for a perfect flock a spotless race of people to serve him. But from the very first two candidates, they were blemished. And every man since that time has carried the mark of Adam's sin. Romans said, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. It was an inherited blemish from my father. I got my scar from him, and then I expanded on it by my own choices. But every baby from Eden forward was scarred. You look at him in the Old Testament, read the account of all the sheep of the pasture in the Old Testament, and you'll find every one of them had a damage. Every one of them was wounded. Every one of them made a mistake. Oh, some of them were more visible than others. But every one of them was wounded. Every one of them limped. Every one of them was blemished until you come to a little stable outside of Bethlehem and there the Lamb of Glory, protected by the virgin birth, entered this world without one scar on him. Sin had not touched him. He did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. And hell was terrified and said, we've got to get a wound in him. Turn these stones into bread. Thou shalt not live by bread alone. But jump off the temple and the angels will catch you. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Get thee hence, Satan. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And Satan went away with his tail between his legs because that lamb was still perfect. Until finally, at the end of his life, Pilate pulled him in close. He pulled the wool back. He looked him over and he said words that echoed and shook the very foundations of hell when Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And for that perfection, he died. And then here we come. And people wonder why we worship. I wonder why you don't. 
do you understand? We limped our way into a service. We brought all of our baggage. We brought all of our hurts. We brought all of our mistakes. And the shepherd said, you don't have to die. You get to live. And ever since that day, I've had life and that more abundantly. I've been celebrating his mercy ever since because the shepherd died so I don't have to. Yeah. You say that doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. It's grace. Join with me just a minute in John chapter 8. Just journey with me for a moment as they bring that woman in and throw him down at the feet of Jesus. They caught her, the Bible says, in the very act of adultery. They weren't interested in righteousness, or they'd have brought the guy too, of course. But they threw her down there before Jesus, and they really only have one question. Does she live, or does she die? And Jesus, in essence, looked at him and said, well, um, is she perfect? Perfect? No, she's not Perfect. Are you kidding me? We caught her breaking one of the big ten. We didn't bring her here for jaywalking. Or not wearing a mask in Walmart. She broke one of the big ones. We caught her committing perfect. No, she's not perfect. Her reputation is tattered. She's a soiled woman. Everybody in this town knows what she did. We paraded her through the streets in shame. Perfect? No, she's not perfect. Jesus said, oh, well, then you can't kill her. Do you want to kill somebody? Let him that is without sin among you. Jesus drew their attention to the only one among them that measured up to death. He said, I'm the only one here good enough to kill. You leave her alone. She's damaged. She gets to live. You turn your attention to me. You can nail me to a cross in a few weeks, but you're not going to touch her. Hey, I wish somebody would get as excited about this as I feel like we ought to be. The shepherd embraces us with all of our issues and says, I love you anyway. No, you're not going to die. You're not good enough to die. You're wounded enough to live. I'd like to have the flock worship the shepherd for just a minute. We're here today because of God's mercy. If you've never had a mistake, you got nothing to celebrate. If you've never blundered in life, you got nothing to celebrate. But if you know that justice would demand that you ought to die, but the shepherd said, no, I think I'll keep you. It just puts a song down in my heart. It puts a clapping in my hands and a dancing in my feet because I'm here today for one reason. My scars. My scars. The thing I'm most ashamed of is the thing that bought me passage into the land of mercy. The thing that I try to hide from you. The shepherd says, show that to me because that's why I can keep you. They that are whole would have no need of a physician. You can't need a savior unless you need a savior. And I know we create this image sometimes in the church 
that we've just got it all together until sometimes I'm afraid when a really rank sinner comes among us, they look around and go, I wouldn't fit there. When in reality, every one of us limps. We've all got issues. Some folks have so many issues, I think they've got a subscription. But we dress it up pretty on Sunday. And we act like we've been sanctified since the day we were born. When in reality, oh God. I, I, I just, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. Help me, Jesus. But it just kills me. I think it must kill the shepherd sometimes. When a praise leader has to go up and go, come on, y'all. Come on. Come on. I know it's just amazing grace and you've known it since you were a fetus, but come on. Come on. Let's, let's, let's praise the Lord. Come on. I wonder if the shepherd doesn't sit up there and go, why do they have to be begged to respond to me? I embraced them when nobody else wanted them. When society was casting them away as having no value, I wrapped my arms around them and loved them anyway. When their family told them they'd never amount to anything, I wrapped my arms around them and loved them anyway. I'm just looking for a few sheep here today that know the shepherd loved you in spite of your scars, and I think we ought to just worship for a minute or two and let the shepherd know how thankful we are that he let us live. I don't know your stories. You can be seated just a moment. I'm almost done, really. I just, I don't know your stories. Your pastor could do this so much better than I, but if the shepherd, I wish the shepherd could preach today. I'll tell you what the shepherd would do. The shepherd would walk over in the pasture. He'd pick up this little lamb. He'd hold him up here and say, this is, a, this is Dave. David. Oh, Dave. Sheep after my own heart. Murderer. Adulterer. Well, throw him out. You don't want that kind of poison, toxic influence in your pasture. Throw him out? Because he had a bad week? Throw him out? Oh, no, no, no. No. He's going to write songs that my church will sing even on the other side of Calvary. Throw him out because he made a mistake? Throw him out because he's got a scar? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to keep him because he's got a scar. It'll make his songs even more powerful. This is Pete. Peter. Hell, Pete. He's a bombastic rascal. <laughs> Jumping out of the boat trying to walk on water. <laughs> Doesn't he know wool shrinks when it gets wet? Tonight he knew me. The most critical night of my life. Well, throw him out. You can't build a church on people that you can't trust. You don't want him. When you needed him the most, he turned his back on you. Get rid of him, Jesus. 
get rid of him. Just because he, he blundered before the, before the rooster crowed? Oh, don't listen to him, Pete. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You're going to preach the birthday sermon of the church. Every apostolic preacher of the world is going to quote your words over and over and over and over. Because I, I know you're scarred, but it's going to make you a good preacher, Pete. Go ahead, Pete. This is Abe. Abraham. He's a liar. Throw him out, father of the faithful. This is Jimmy and Johnny, brothers, power-hungry, egomaniacal, trying to call fire down on people that didn't believe in me, asking their mama to see if they, he, they could get seats on either side of my throne. Well, throw them out. You resist the proud. Yeah, I do, but also forgive them. No. <laughs> James, oh, I'm not throwing them out. I'm going to show John stuff on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean that people will, will, will still be reading about, wonder about the end time in years. You know, throw them out. No, 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 no. I got plans for them. Throw them out. Now, see, if I knew you, I would come get one of you. Come here, Bo, since you jumped up. Come here. What's, what's your name, bud? Joey? Don't whip me. Joey? I don't know you at all. Your pastor had told me nothing. I'm don't, not just nothing. All I know is this. I've watched you worship. Joey, I wonder what would happen right now if on that screen up there we began to parade. Let's walk up here a little bit. We just begin to parade on that screen everything you've ever done, every word you've ever spoken, every thought you've ever had, every mistake you've ever made. If we displayed your scars on that screen right now for everybody to see, you know what would be going on in this place about now? Folks all over the house would be going, I didn't know Joey did that. Just stay here a second. Just, uh, whoo, keep the kids away from Joey. Joey's a mess. Joey looks good on Sundays, but, whoo, man, him, mm -mm, no, no. But you know what amazes me about that experience is all the while that all of us are sitting in there going, man, I didn't know Joey did that. I didn't know Joey did that. Jesus would be looking down from heaven at the record of your life going, I didn't know Joey did that. When did Joey do that? The last thing I remember, Joey was coming up out of the water, baptized in Jesus' name, and the blood of Calvary was washed. I, I don't, no, it's okay, Joey. You can stay. I don't know what they're talking about. You're mine. You belong to me. You stay here. I'm just trying to help somebody today. The devil can't beat us up over what we used to be as long as we keep celebrating what God has done with us. The mercy of God has made us new. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who live. He puts his hand on you and says, you could be the greatest prayer warrior this church has ever known. Oh, but you don't know where I came from. Yes, I do. I've seen your scars. You could be the greatest soul winner this church has ever seen. Oh, but I got some baggage. I know that's why I saved you. You could be the most powerful witness this city has ever known. There's a calling on your life to preach the gospel. Whatever it is, don't let the devil tell you that your scars keep you from that. God says that's why I can use you. Stand with me, I'm done. It is the nature of the shepherd to look at wounded sheep and say, you get to live. Oh yeah, Paul, I know you've been going around killing Christians, but you get to live. 
Moses, I know you're a murderer, but you get to live. Joy, I know you might have some issues, but you get to live. And all the while that the devil is wagging his finger in your face and telling you how horrible you are, the shepherd wraps his arms around you and says, don't be embarrassed. I knew all about you and I let you live. Why don't we talk to him just a minute where you stand right now? You say, I'm blemished, you're redeemed. Go ahead, go ahead, worship him a moment. You say, I'm scarred, yes, but you're forgiven. I'm imperfect, but you're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified and the shepherd loves you today. I know that every voice out of hell tries to tell you to give up because of the family you came from. I tell you to stand fast because of the family you're in now. Uh, I feel the Lord really trying to wrap his arms around somebody here today. Okay, you made a mistake. I don't celebrate your mistake, but I celebrate his mercy. Close your eyes with me right now and hear the, hear the voice of the Lord for a moment. I, I, I know, I know, I know. You had that abortion back years ago and it still haunts you today. I wish you hadn't done it, but God doesn't kick you out because of that. He embraces you because of that. Yeah, I know some perverted relative molested you as a child and you felt dirty and guilty ever since. And you wonder if you can ever have a normal home or a normal marriage because of the emotional baggage you carry for someone else's sin. God says, I know about your scars. I know about your hurts. I know about the way that haunts you. And you're worried about whether anybody knows what the shepherd says. I know, and I love you anyway. Preacher, you don't know. My wife and I we had an affair. My, our marriage was on the rocks. I don't know if I could ever get over it. You may limp all your life, sir, just to a certain measure, but don't, don't worry about it. That limp just makes you depend on God. And that limp lets your testimony be that much more powerful. If you were strong and fit and whole, then maybe you'd get the credit for your life. But when you're wounded and scarred and you limp, then the Savior gets the credit for what has become of you. And I need somebody to hear me right now in the name of the Lord. The shepherd stands here today and says, don't hide from me any longer. Don't try, to, don't try to run and hide. You don't have to. I don't want you to be ashamed of what you were. I want you to celebrate what you are. I don't want you to feel embarrassed about what you used to be. I want you to feel empowered by what you are now. And with that mindset, I would like to open this. I, I don't know what the practice is, and I don't want to run afoul of any government or any church policy, but to whatever measure you are comfortable coming up around this altar, I would like to invite some sheep to limp their way up here today and say, Shepherd, I just want to throw myself in your arms. I've got a little baggage back behind me in it. I, I, I wish it wasn't there, but oh, Shepherd, I love you today. Now see, everybody's going to be scared to move now because everybody's going to think you're an adulterer. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm a wounded sheep that I'm only here because of mercy. I'm only here because of grace. And some folks need to come up into the Shepherd's arms today and say, Jesus, I believe you can use me. Jesus, I don't believe it's over. Jesus, I don't believe I'm a failure. Jesus, I don't believe there's no purpose in my life just because I made a mistake. I bring my emotions to you, Jesus. 
They've been damaged by the abuse I suffered as a child. I bring my emotions to you, Jesus. I'm wounded because my dad walked out on us when I was just a kid. I lived in a dysfunctional home. I did drugs back in the day. God, I'm wounded. And the shepherd says, I know, I know, and I love you. Throw yourself in the shepherd's arms today. Throw yourself in the shepherd's arms today. Blemished sheep get to live. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.